And we're back. It's DGS with DHP, and today's special guests are Doug with two G's and Leanne with two N's. Custer sent out from Henson 40-plus years ago. They served overseas in Austria, and I think you'll really be encouraged by the conversation that we have. Hopefully, you got to see them and hear from them a couple Sundays ago. Just a couple side notes about upcoming episodes. We will be releasing on this podcast the Nine Marks Northwest Talks uh, for future episodes, so even if you got to attend that conference, I think you'll be encouraged by listening to some of those talks again. Um, And then second, we have merch, DHP merch. Thanks to Brian Lewis. So if you want some stickers for your Nalgene water bottles or your cars, uh, your laptop, or for your children, we we have that for you. So come and see me or uh, PK and we will get you those. Hope you enjoy the conversation with Doug and Leanne. Doug and Leanne Custer, welcome to the Disciple Henson Podcast. Thanks so much for joining me today. Well, thank, thank you for you. having us. After an eventful morning for you guys. <laughs> That's true. Uh, but you have a new vehicle after a little break-in. Thankfully, nothing of too much value was taken. That's kind of your welcome to Portland. <laughs> yes, it was. Yeah, I don't think we had too much of value in there. So that's, uh, yeah, it was inconvenient, but we're good again. Good. Good. Well, why don't you uh, tell us who you are? So just briefly introduce yourselves to to us. I assume that uh, most in the congregation would know of you guys and know a little bit of your ministry, but we have a number of new members. Why don't you tell us uh, who you are? Well, so Leanne Custer is my name, uh, born and raised in central Nebraska in a really wonderful family. I was the oldest of five kids. We were a very moral family, but we were not a Christian family. And uh, But I always had this desire to know God. I started attending a church when I was 10, never heard the gospel, uh, told my parents when I went to the University of Nebraska, I said, I am going to go from church to church to church till I find what's missing in my life because I know it has to do with God. And I had a great life. Hmm. Uh, a very first weekend, a gal that I met invited me to go with her to a Baptist church, and I heard the gospel and gave my life to the Lord 50 years ago this February. So just celebrated my 50th birthday. Praise God. And how did you meet Doug, Leanne? We'll just stay on you for a minute. Um, Well, actually, I was taking classes because I wanted to be baptized. And you had to take classes first to learn about your faith, which was really very good for me. And uh, my girlfriend told me that we had two new guys in the Sunday school class. And uh, I had heard that one of them had played football. And I actually wanted to marry a pro football player. So I was early, uh, got out of one of my classes early one Sunday, went back down to the career college group and saw him and walked across the room. And actually, we kind of met in the middle and I introduced myself. And And that's how we met. Was one of your first questions if he was going to play pro football? Uh, I didn't ask that, but in shortly in the course of the conversation, he told me God had just called him into ministry and he was quitting football. Okay. All right. Well, we'll hear. Obviously, it still worked out. It did. It did. And actually, I'll just add that 17 years later in Austria, he played with a hobby team for three years. And so I said, I eventually got my pro football player. There you go. (laughs) The Lord works in mysterious ways. He does. Uh, Doug, why don't you introduce yourselves to us? Yeah, I'm Doug Custer and uh, born and raised in a Air Force family, a military family. So we did move around a lot, although Nebraska was definitely home. That was 
where I was born, my parents, aunts, aunts and uncles. So that that is where we ended up going for college. But uh, growing up in a military family, um, my dad was a self-made man and had no need for God. My parents had no interest. I mean, God was, we, we were the classic example of indifferent. We didn't, we weren't antagonistic towards religion, but no interest in it. Um, so when a friend invited me to a fellowship of Christian athletes meeting, when I was a senior in high school, I was surprised that he did believe in God. And I told him, Jay, come on, you don't really think there's a God, do you? And uh, he knew me well enough and cared enough to say just the right thing. He said, Custer, shut up and come. I'm glad I did, because uh, that's where I heard the gospel for the first time. From my heroes, from uh, football players, baseball players who were stars of that day. And they were telling me that Jesus Christ was more important than their particular sport. And I thought, no, that can't be right. Hmm. So remind me, it, I'm a, I might have missed it. Was that in high school or in college? I was a senior in high school. Senior in high school. Okay. And so, and then you guys met in college. Right. right. And by that time, you had kind of made the decision to go into full-time ministry. Yes. Doug. I I became a Christian like right after Christmas, my senior year. And then it was about one year later that I had um, really figured I wasn't walking with the Lord as a freshman at college. And that had to change. So I was praying what he might want me to do. And uh, it became just clear his promptings. Other people confirmed it that, yeah, uh, a full-time ministry was something I might be fit for. So I began to head in that direction. Although I went back to the University of Nebraska to finish my freshman year. And I'm glad we did because that's when we met. And Leanne, at that point, I mean, you, you came to know Christ. How was it through your relationship with Doug that you became, had the desire to go into ministry or how did um, that come about? <laughs> well, I know, uh, people always kind of look at us cross-eyed when we say this, but I actually walked away after a five minute conversation and told my roommate that afternoon, I met the guy I was going to marry and he had the same experience. So God was bringing us together because he needed to, I think, move us along. Hmm. We went ahead and he stayed at the university one more year. Mm -hmm. uh, and I actually switched to a different city because that's where the nursing program was. And then we got married after our sophomore year so that we could move back to Hawaii where he had become a believer mm -hmm. to go to the Bible school that the church was starting. So I knew really from the moment I met him that I was going to be in ministry. And I will tell mm -hmm. you, it was daunting for a person who had been a believer about three weeks to think oh, of sure. being in full-time ministry. Uh, but uh, when we, should I go ahead with the story a little bit that we did move to Hawaii and I did continue with my education and got my nursing degree because we knew that uh, I would probably put him through seminary and we didn't know how God would use the nursing afterwards. So, And then let's just fast forward in the story because I want to, we want to talk about your 41 years in ministry, right. which there's a lot of good stories and uh, encouraging things. But how was it that you guys got connected with Henson? We had graduated our undergraduate work in Hawaii mm -hmm. and uh, got accepted to Western Baptist Seminary. 
And we had a lot of, not a lot, what's a lot? We had a number of Henson people who we had gotten to know in Hawaii. Hmm. Uh, either uh, people who came over to teach, like a module course at the little Bible college. And the guy that became my best friend, Jim Bull, he was kind of born and raised here at Henson. His parents were very involved here. His dad was, in fact, the chairman of the deacon board at the time. Hmm. So um, that is why we ended up coming to Henson. I initially didn't want to go here. I wanted to go somewhere else just because I'd heard so much about it. I mm -hmm. thought, okay, I, I've heard enough. But uh, I'm glad we, again, glad that God led otherwise. Uh, in our first Sunday, as I walked in the door at Henson, I met Joel McDonald, who was the minister of discipleship here on staff. And we had met each other in Hawaii uh, a few years before. And Joel said, are you here to go to seminary? And I said, yes, I am. And he said, would you like to be my intern? And hmm. I go, wow. Uh, <laughs> my respect for Joel was already through the roof. And I thought I could learn from him. Hmm. So I said, let me pray about it. Yes. And uh, that was a privilege that I had for the whole time we were going to seminary was to be an intern here at Henson. What did an intern do at Henson at that time? Or what did you do? Yeah. Anything Joel told me to do. <laughs> okay. That sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. He was a, a hyper-disciplined guy. Okay. And I was more of a fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants guy. So we learned a lot from each other, mostly me from him. That's and my responsibilities at that time were uh, the Discover classes for new Christians. Okay. The new members classes uh, when anybody came and joined the church and then overseeing the growth groups. Okay. So those three levels of discipleship opportunities is what uh, I, I did the teacher training. I taught some of them and um, found other people to teach them. So we were busy. The church was growing at that mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. And uh, we got to a point one Sunday where the entire gym was filled with like 10 circles of chairs, all uh, Discover classes. Hmm. And then the Discover classes would be held during the week as well. That's great. And uh, Doug and Leanne, did you guys know at that point when you're here at Henson that you wanted to be sent out to the mission field? Oh, no. We okay. had life planned out when we married. It was going to be three years at Bible school and then three years seminary. And then we really wanted to be someplace where there were mountains. And I had always hoped to go back closer to home. So my dream was within a day's drive of central Nebraska. Sure. Colorado, probably. And mm -hmm. uh, Doug took the mandatory missions class his senior year of seminary, and God turned our lives upside down. He was really, in reading articles, confronted with um, the need overseas for trained Christian leaders. And rather than coming home and saying, guess what, hon, God's calling us into missions, he brought the articles home for me to read, and God could work in my heart the same time that he worked in Doug's heart. And we just saw the need, and we saw no reason that we couldn't meet the need. It really began with an intellectual decision. Hmm. But I will say that over the course of the next few months, God really gave us a heart desire to go. And uh, we ended up going to Austria because the seminary professor at the time, who was also a Hinson member, Dr. Bruce Kerr, he said, with your personalities, I think you guys should consider Europe. And so we began to pray about Europe and read about Europe and um, read about the need for a pioneer church planter in southern Austria. Can I pause you right there and ask a question about how Hinson helped send you out? 
Um, did Henson do anything that was particularly helpful in uh, kind of launching you to the mission field or and or what can churches do today to help launch uh, people overseas for missions? Like how can we as a church care for people in that process who, you know, you guys come to the conviction through seminary, through reading these articles that we want to go to the mission field. How can the church help is basically, and how did the church help? Does that question make sense? Yes, it does. And first, the historical part, Henson had a very vibrant missions focus. There was a missions conference every year and a faith promise giving program every year. They got up to over $500,000 in faith promise giving to missions. The, there was a long list of missionaries that Henson supported uh, in those days. This would be the late 70s. So it was um, a lot of exposure to missions, to the missionaries. Um, they were, some of them were very good communicators. We had Warren Webster speak here as he was a mission statesman. He wasn't just the general director of World Venture. Um, he spoke at Urbana. He, he was quoted, he was just an excellent communicator for the need for missions to continue. And so uh, he was a friend of Henson, and there was just a, a natural pray about it, think about it. Yes, you all need to be considering this uh, message that, that went out to everybody. Okay. But I had very deftly avoided that, and I figured they were talking to everybody else, not me, until that last semester when I took the mandatory missions class. Um. Henson was incredibly generous. When, when we said we think God's leading this, this direction, the senior pastor at the time said, Man, no, he's not. We want, <laughs> we want you to stay on staff right here. Hmm. And that was very gracious of him, hmm. but it just didn't, um, it didn't grab us. We felt we, we had a wonderful three years, and God was clearly prompting our thoughts, our hearts, our passions for Austria. Hmm. So they said they would be our commissioning church. They would send us out. They would be our home church. And um, and so they did. They had the commissioning ceremony, took you, on a great percentage of our support, financial support, and then praying for us. Hmm. And you guys said, I think you mentioned on Sunday morning, uh, how you kneeled there on in the front. We did. We still commission our missionaries and have the elders come and lay hands on them and pray for them. But we we've somewhere along the way we lost the kneeling part. Yeah. So yeah, we did back then. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. So now here we are. Forty is it forty one years later? Since we left, yes. Yeah. Since you were commissioned, but around... almost forty three years since we were appointed. Okay. And you guys went out with World Venture. Or it wasn't called World World Venture then, but it is now. Correct. And uh, yeah, so how have the last 41 years been? <laughs> <laughs> uh, fast, <laughs> it seems like. But uh, they were, it was wonderful. Mm. Uh, primarily, we had an outstanding team to work with mm -hmm. in the church planting ministry in Austria. Austria is a pleasant place to live, but the ministry is really hard. Well, let's talk about that. Um, a lot of people might not know what, uh, kind of Christianity is like in Austria. What is the evangelical church like in Austria? What's the landscape? 
So when we went to Austria in 1981, uh, they estimated that there were about 3,000 believers out of eight and a half million peoples. Uh, in our province where uh, World Venture was working, at the time there were two churches and then there were probably two or three Bible studies scattered around the entire province. We went to a city of 75,000 people serving an area of 150,000 people and there was no evangelical church. Now, Austrians consider themselves Christian. There are two state churches in Austria, the Catholic Church and the Lutheran Augsburg Convention. Uh, confession are both state churches. If you were born into one of those families, you are registered in one automatically. And you have to take, um, you have to be in religion classes for those. And actually, we think that's a part of the problem because we would talk to many people and they'd say, oh, I'm Catholic. And we'd say, do you believe in God? And they'd say, oh, no. <laughs> uh, it was very much a secular or you could say maybe a cultural Catholicism. It was just part of who Austrians were. And I think part of the problem was they would be in religion classes, but they were not really hearing the gospel. They were just hearing a little bit. And we often say it's like an inoculation. They just got inoculated against the real thing. Mm -hmm. And so most of the time, people didn't want to talk to us because they go, oh, tried that. Don't want anything to do with God. We were considered a cult. Evangelicals were considered a cult. Uh, still are for the most part, but it's probably not as overt as it was then. So you just embraced your role as cult leaders in Austria. We kind of did. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we did. And we planted the church. It was called a Baptist church, you know, even in yeah. the German language, you know, Baptisten. Uh -huh. And at least they could look that up in the dictionary. And go. it was a fair and accurate description of what Baptists are. So... Uh, the word evangelical got confused, actually, with the word evangelisch, which meant Lutheran. Oh, okay. And so a lot, and some, a, a lot of churches made that mistake. They just called them, they called themselves evangelisch, which means you're a Lutheran, mm -hmm. or evangelical, which to the Austrian ears, yeah, you're also Lutheran, which um, was not, it was just a very liberal Lutheranism in Austria and those, well, it still is. Yeah. So how, how, go ahead, Leanne. Well, I was going to say, we joined another couple who had been there three years. Okay. They had gotten the name of a girl who had actually, a foreign exchange student, accepted the Lord someplace in Oregon. I don't remember where. Huh. And then they had the name of another couple. He was uh, Dutch and she was Austrian and he was a believer. And so those were the people that they started with. So when we joined them three years later, there were 11 people meeting in the living room, <laughs> uh, just a handful of, of two or three. Uh, Austrians. Uh, and then an English gal uh, was studying and, and rented a room from a family, and she led the son to the Lord. He really was the, became kind of the stalwart of the, uh, of the first church. Um, and so it just started gradually. We were trying to make contacts, and finally Georg, he said, you know what? We have the natural contacts. He goes, you guys disciple us and teach us how to share our faith, and we'll do the evangelism. And so that's kind of the model that we took then. I mean, we always tried to have uh, good relationships with non-Christians, share the gospel, but that was not our focal point. Okay, okay. So, And you guys uh, ended up planning two churches Correct. Um, not English speaking. They're not English, like they weren't international churches. So you guys learned the language. We, we did. did. <laughs> yeah. And you can still speak it. 
Yeah, we, das können wir. We, there you yes. go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so why don't you just tell us some encouraging things that you saw the Lord do while you were uh, planting these churches, discipling the believers, uh, you know, training leaders. Just uh, what were some things you saw the Lord do over over the time? It was fantastic to see the power of the gospel hmm. and the power of the word of God. Because if you could get an unbelieving Austrian to look at the Bible with you, to open it up, actually read it, talk about what he's reading, they would come to Christ. Many times. <laughs> yeah, many times we saw that happen because they it struck them that, oh my goodness, I'm not uh, saved. I'm not a Christian. I haven't focused any kind of attention on Jesus Christ and what he did for me. So to watch that happen was always fascinating. We got to see marriages saved. Hmm. Um, Austria, the preponderance of domestic violence is in, you know, uh, families and households. Well, of course, that's the word domestic. The preponderance of violence is domestic violence. Mm -hmm. So to see the gospel change husbands and wives and even generations uh, of how they interact with one another was tremendously encouraging. Mm -hmm. And I think when, when God really got a hold of their hearts to see them totally committed, we had uh, one young couple, uh, we had done an evangelistic Bible study with them. His brother was a believer and introduced us. and But they were just kind of on the fence. They were, you know, coming to church, had made a decision. And then one day her two sisters and a boyfriend showed up to take their kids out of our Sunday school because they thought that we were brainwashing them. And that was the point where this couple said, Nope, we believe and we are going to stand for what we believe. So then, to, I mean, sometimes things happen, but really when God really got a hold of them and to see them take a stand against all kinds of then, we'd say social persecution, where mm -hmm. they're kicked out of the families, not included in different things, you know, ostracized, but but to say, no, we, we stick with Jesus. Jesus has changed my life. And I think one other cool thing, and you can tell this just, uh, short maybe, was in the first church. You know, so people thought we were a cult and the fact that we were either in a home or we moved from community center to community center. Um, you know, we, we had Sunday school in the showers, you know, on the floor and stuff. Uh, but that made us look more like a cult. So we really needed a building hmm. and uh, how God, in both cities actually, how God gave us buildings was pretty amazing. But Yeah. Yeah, we talked with our maturing Austrian leaders at the time saying, you know, one of the options would be just to do house churches. We'll just be cell groups meeting in for encouragement and discipleship and, and we'll try to grow that way. And they said, nope, that will not work in Austria. You, mm -hmm. You've got to have a physical presence. Mm -hmm. You've, it has to be attractive and that indicates you're legitimate. Sure. And if you don't have that, you're always going to be suspect and the you'll never lose the cult label. So did you take over old existing buildings uh, from like a old state or Catholic church, or did you guys build a whole new thing or move into some sort of warehouse? It was kind of some sort of warehouse. It was a grocery store. Oh, that's right. Yep. And, uh, yep. And the initial church was uh, a little tiny grocery store for, you know, building, and they moved right down a couple blocks away and built a great big supermarket, nice one. So this building was sitting there empty. And we finally went and asked about it. And they said, the grocery store said, sure, we'll sell it to you. We'll be glad to get rid of it. 
So did you preach from like the produce aisle or? <laughs> it was more like clean up on aisle no four. Aisles. <laughs> oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. But, but cool thing is at the time there were some people then that were against us buying the building in the neighborhood and they were writing letters to the editor of the local newspaper saying, you know, what are we doing? Letting a cult build us, uh, you know, it was mm-hmm. a, a building, they didn't call us a church in the uh, center in the middle of our town. But, um, they we found out that after they went to buy the building that the property belonged to the city and we could only lease it for a certain number of years and so doug and a couple guys went and that was a problem that was going to be a problem Mm -hmm. so because we we just didn't even assume that was an option but we because we paid for the building Mm -hmm. and then they tell us oh and by the way you need to talk to the city of feloc because they own the land and we said wait what (laughs) No, 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 that's not going to work. Yeah, they'll rent it to you. They'll lease it to you. So we um, we said that we we need to talk to the city of Feloc and see if they'll um, either give it to us for like 100 years or sell it to us. And our my the three Austrian leaders, you know, said, uh, <laughs> said, Doug, we know you do things differently in America, but the city will never let go of land. Once they own it, they, they're going to own it forever. And no, you can't get it. So I thought, well, you know, all right, but can we at least ask? Don't say no for them. Yeah, there you go. And uh, they weren't sure about that, but uh, they agreed to try. So we set up an appointment to go and talk to the mayor. And I, they said, wait. You said an appointment to talk to the mayor. I said, well, I didn't intentionally. That's just the way it ended up. So um, the mayor, as we got there, and I was, we were going to say, would you sell it to us? On the way there, I had a different idea. But I didn't. You already said you were kind of a fly by the seat of your pants kind of guy. So. And th- this is going to demonstrate a little bit of that. And he has the gift of faith. And these other three Austrians, they were terrified to be going in to meet the mayor. You just don't do that. So, but when we walked in and he walked in immediately as we all three and all four introduced ourselves, he picked up on the fact that I had an accent and found out I was from America and he loved America. Oh, he loved it. He wanted to talk about Yellowstone and the Grand Canyon and all of his favorite places he had visited. And so we're having a great old time talking (laughs) And then finally he says, okay, what are we here to do today? What can I do for you? And so I said, well, you've got the papers in front of you and uh, we have purchased that old grocery store. Yes, yes, yes. He said, okay, that's right. I know that. And I said, but the city of Feloc owns the land. He goes, yes, correct. So we're here today to ask you to give it to us. And you could hear the all the oxygen being sucked out of the room by my friends who I could tell wanted to just kill me right there on the spot. And, but the mayor said, Oh, Oh, well, let me see. Let me see. Let me see. How big is it? Uh, you know what? Sure. No kidding. We can do that. Yeah. And he calls in his secretary from the outer office and says to her, you know, Hildegard, get this, get this proposal to the city council so they can vote on it and approve it. And he said, anything else? And we're going, nope, that's, that's great. You want to come to Yellowstone with us? Or? <laughs> that's and, awesome. Uh, so those three guys, as we walked out, they, they did. They just wanted to murder me right on the spot. And 
But the other thing they learned was, wow. What a provision. God, yeah. God can do anything. That's a great story. And it was just wonderful to see them move on into leadership and learn a boldness lesson, learn a faith lesson. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, I had to learn it too because it was it was a risk, but yeah. God, yeah. God took care of us. That's great. Uh, let's... Um, I'd love to get your all's wisdom and just, you know, 42 or even longer years of 43 years of ministry. Um, when we, when it comes to missions, we don't have that much time left. So I just love, you know, get, what are, what are appetites for even more? Um, how can a church like Henson today encourage our missionaries? Um, it's actually one way is just respond to the email updates that come out. And you guys have been doing a great job. Christian and Neil have just done a super mm. job with that because we know yeah. you're getting them and mm. you're hearing them. And it doesn't have to be every time, but just now and then respond to something. You know, we always love that. Uh, we had pastors visit us a couple times through the years. and Is that helpful? Encouraging? That. Yes. Yeah. We, we mm-hmm. enjoyed yeah. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you sent a team over that helped us when we were working on the um, foundation of our the second building that we right. bought for the second church plant. So I think, you know, really taking an interest. And if you can meet a need for sending people to help, I think that's always very encouraging, too. Uh, and I think knowing you're praying mm-hmm. um, is just always great. Just the simple exposure to missions, to to put missionaries and missions in front of your people uh, on a regular basis. So they're always, God's always having the opportunity to say, hey, what about you? Is this an option for you? Short term, long term. Why not consider uh, getting engaged in that way? And not every missionary that's going to come through the church uh, is going to be a skilled communicator or, uh, you know, somebody that you're going to want to give a lot of time to. But if you could just figure out the ones who are and let them just challenge your people on a regular basis or, or you guys, it's the staff challenge them. Um, I just firmly believe that there's far more people out there that God has prepared and equipped and gifted and would love to see involved in cross-cultural ministry. You know, Jesus saw the crowd and he turned to his disciples and he didn't say, go get them. He said, pray to the Lord of the harvest Mm -hmm. that he send out more workers into his harvest field because it's, it's ripe unto harvest. The problem is not enough workers. Yeah. So if we believe that and believe Jesus is giving us that pattern, We've got to be praying earnestly, and we've got to be constantly encouraging people. What about you? What about you? Amen. That's a great word. Um, You guys have been working in mobilization now for the last how many years? Almost eight. Eight years. So based uh, loosely in Colorado, is that right? Loosely is a good word. Okay. So I've been traveling around. What are you, I guess just this is maybe one one of my final questions, but what are you looking for? when you're meeting with a, a candidate like for for cross-cultural missions what what is it that you want to see uh in someone who's going to uh flourish on the mission field I'm, I'm sure a number of things but is there maybe one or two things that you're particularly looking for yes a quiet confidence almost more uh, that you would recognize them as humble hmm. teachable mm-hmm we definitely are looking for that, but you're also looking at uh, an, an in 
insatiable passion to share the gospel with every opportunity that they have. Because if they're already doing it here, there's a good chance they'll do it there. And there's no one profile that's going to be an effective missionary. Right. Depends on where you're going, Mm -hmm. who you're going to be engaged with. But um, yeah, we want to see tenacity, confidence that you are being led by God and you're you're not going to quit when the first bump in the road comes up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking that too. And the other thing I was thinking, people that get along with people. Mm-hmm. You know that you can look at their lives and see that they're able to work on teams, they're able to work on people. They don't just take off the minute somebody agree, uh, you know, that the boss disagrees with them or or somebody challenges them. I think I think that's also so important to be able to work on a team. Mm. That's good. That's good. And to, and that they are doing ministry now. It doesn't have to be, I don't think, just sharing the gospel. But, you know, we would get phone calls and gals would go, oh, I just have a heart for Muslim women. I want to go to the Middle East. And we'd say, oh, so do you have Muslim friends now? Or, you know, what are you doing now? Oh, I don't know any. Well, so the ministry that you think God's going is calling you to, whether it's evangelism, discipleship, teaching, be involved in that. Now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you guys uh, are about to retire. So what's uh, what's next for Doug and Leanne? That is a great question. And I like the fact that I can't give you a definitive answer. Hmm. I like the little bit of ambiguity, a little bit of openness. And to let us see how God leads us in this next year, uh, perhaps. We have a daughter who uh, is a missionary in Germany with World Venture. She says, you're coming over here. And that's not un- that's that's an attractive option. We have a son who's pastoring in Honolulu. And he says, got a spot. You're on my staff as soon as you get here. So, But neither one of those are probably um, financial realities. We're going to be able to visit both of those locations Mm -hmm. and assist in ministry Mm -hmm. for two or three months, maybe at a time. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And another thing we're very interested in as international students and in Mm -hmm. Colorado Springs is the university of Colorado at Colorado Springs. Mm -hmm. And they have a lot of students from the middle East and we're very interested in getting involved Mm -hmm. with them down the road as well. So we still want to be doing ministry, but we want it to be with a little less responsibility and, uh, Maybe not 80-hour week work weeks. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Any final things you guys want to say to the people of Henson? We so appreciate you, wow. uh, the opportunity to pray for you and hear from you uh, on Sunday morning briefly, but then uh, was it last Sunday night or a couple Sunday nights ago uh, hearing from you? And But uh, any, any final things that you'd like to say? The people of Henson have been uh, fabulously generous partners in ministry by giving, by praying, and even by coming, like the like Leanne mentioned, you guys have come and, and helped with practical projects and other ways. Uh, Henson has been our lighthouse church. Hmm. Uh, not I don't want the other churches to think, oh, well, we're second rate or third. No, but you got everybody has to have a home church, ascending church. Mm-hmm. And for us, we were molded here at Henson during our staff time, during our seminary days. And uh, that's what God sent to the mission field was what Hinson helped produce in us. Hmm. So we're forever grateful 
And we pray that Henson will continue to have a passion to uh, encourage young people to go missions and then generously support them uh, in whatever they do. Uh, that would be a final word, I think. That's great. I can't believe they won't do it. I think they yeah. will. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you guys both for your example of perseverance and faithfulness. I know it wasn't always easy. And there was, I loved the, I shared with Ashley, who wasn't able to be there, my wife, on Sunday night, how you guys said that there was times when you just wanted to call it quits, but the Lord never gave you uh, that feeling on the same day, That's you right. know, and how the <laughs> Lord, exactly the true. Lord kept you there for the sake of the church, yeah. for the sake of the gospel, and to be an example to to many people here today who might not have known your, your ministry over the whole breadth of your ministry, but now we see uh, some of the fruit, we hear the testimony of God at work through you and in you and we just praise God for you so thank you for having this conversation and we look forward to continuing to pray for you and be in touch thank you that would be an honor thank you very much thank you guys